If you're offended by the words on this podcast, you'll be mortified by the words in the legal profession. Hello and welcome to episode 322 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Today on the show, we just talked about LSAT fundamentals, right? It was a long discussion of... Logical reasoning. Logical reasoning question types. We went through every type of question on logical reasoning and we kind of hashed out like a short strategy. It was a long hashing out in an attempt to get to short strategies for each question types. This is going to be the first like 45 minutes of the show is going to be a fairly intense discussion of logical reasoning question types. So buckle up. I don't know if it was intense. It was laid back, but as intense as we, well, (laughs) yeah, it was heavy on the LSAT. It was a lot less of our normal laughs and bullshit. And it was very intense. Like it's going to be a good episode for people who are really trying to master LSAT logical reasoning. Okay. And then we had a question about, um, you know, resume bullet points and, uh, a question about what to do if you love the LSAT, but aren't sure about law school. This will air on Monday, November 1st, 2021. Uh, The January LSAT registration deadline isn't coming up until December 3rd, so you still got another month to make that decision. Don't worry about it now. The November LSAT is just around the corner, um, starting November 13th. You can still join Nathan's November 2021 LSAT study group. That's Thursdays, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. From what I understand, and I still need to go, Nathan, I want to pop in on one of your classes one of these days, but what, people come in and ask questions, right? And you just keep them motivated to keep studying for the next coming LSAT. Yeah, it's it's turned into a really fun um, class that I do yeah. every week. I, I have, normally I have some brief bullet points on the mm-hmm. syllabus that are kind of related to if you're going to take this upcoming test, you know, here's what you should be thinking when you're however much time out, like on this one, you know, it would be like, well, you've got about 10 days till the test. Uh, here's what, you know, here's some thoughts. And then it's largely just Q and a, so you can come to that class and you can ask me absolutely anything you want. We use the raise hand feature in the zoom. I also, uh, always will have a couple demon staffers there, uh, last week it was Abigail and Jen. I think that's the usual crew for that. And Abigail and Jen can help answer background questions about the LSAT or the LSAT demon, whatever you want to talk about. Um, anyway, yeah, every Thursday at uh, 4 Pacific, 7 Eastern, and all you need is a demon-free cool. account. Let's dive in. Hey, I brought something to the show, Ben, for us to hash out together. Okay. Uh, this is, I think I misused the word rubric. I don't think rubric is the right word for it. We need a different word. Um, But the point is, uh, I wanted for our fundamentals classes in the demon, for logical reasoning fundamentals, I wanted to have a very short strategy for each question type. Okay. Okay. So I have a document here that I've been working on with our teachers And I wanted to get your take on the whole thing. Sure. And uh, the idea here, some of these I think are still too long because, so, because, 
you know, fundamentals. I want like the simplest idea. Mm-hmm. So I, what I, my goal was we could talk through each question type and we could really just try to boil it down into as few words as possible. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good to me. I mean, that's what we do on the test, right? It's not like we're thinking about a lot of stuff. You're just like, oh, necessary assumption. Does the author have to agree with yeah. this? Stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So um, I have categorized or I have organized the, the types um, into two big families. Uh, we used to call these top down and bottom up, yep. but that doesn't make any sense anymore because the answer choices are no longer like below the passage or above the passage. Yeah. Um, it's left, right orientation a lot. So that doesn't make any sense. So we have to get rid of that language. Okay. And um, so what I'm calling them now is passage based or answer based. Okay. Passage based is the old top down where the top, which is the passage, right? The passage is going to dictate the answer that you pick. Like you have to pick an answer that is rooted in the passage. Okay. Versus answer based. I'm not sure about these names, so we can change all these names too, but, um, answer based as a replacement for bottom up Mm -hmm. answer based, meaning, um, like on a strengthen or a weaken question where, you don't really fight with the truth of the answer choice. Rather, you accept the truth of the answer choice, and then you determine whether it does something to the argument that you had read. Okay, so what do you think about what, what do you think? What do you think about Abigail's suggestion for passage? What was it? Passage driven and answer driven. Oh, sure, sure. Driven. I like that better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Cool. Yeah, okay. I sorry, I missed that suggestion somewhere, but yes, we'll we'll make that edit. Okay. So passage driven question types. Yep. Uh, starting with must be true. And I, I think it might be helpful for students, especially brand new students to have like a captain of the team of passage driven question types, right? Like a, a poster child for that type. Sure. Yeah. You, and I think obviously wrapped around that and then you can understand how the others are similar. Sure. Yep, and I think obviously the captain of that team has to be must be true. That's the must. Yep, must be true in a lot of ways is the um, captain of, of the LSAT. Um, almost all reading comprehension questions can be thought of as must be true. Yep. Um, there are a ton of them on logical reasoning. There are must be trues on logic games. Yep. I mean, it's like, hey, can you? say what the record says. Like, yep. can you read the record, understand the record, and then pick an answer that's proven by that record? And we see these types of questions must be true types of questions all throughout the test. Yep. Okay. So question type is must be true. An example uh, of that question says, if the statements above are true, which one of the following must be true? Very straightforward. Yep. And then for a strategy, all we have is ask yourself, does this answer have to be true based on what I know from the passage? And then it says wrong answers will be different or extra. Yep. What do we think about that? I think that's good. It's uh print it. Yep. Okay. Print it. Okay. So do we want to jump to answer driven question types and just so people can see the two, the differences between these 
big categories or do we want to keep going um, with passage driven? Well, just for contrast, right up at the top. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we could go to, um, I think strengthen. Yep. I would agree. Is the, should be the captain. I got to reorganize this a little bit. This is in the wrong place. Yeah. I think strengthen would be the captain of the answer driven sure. question types. Yep. Um, so on strengthen, an example question is which one of the following, if true, most strengthens the argument's overall conclusion. Mm -hmm. Very typical way that they ask the strengthen question. Yep. And here they're asking you for something completely different because it says which one of the following, if true, will strengthen the argument yep. as opposed to the must be true, which was... Um, if the statements above are true, which one of the following must be true? So that was must be true. That's a passage-driven yep. question type. Strengthen is a answer-driven question type because you have to think about, hey, if this answer is true, is it going to help the argument above? Yeah. And anyway, the strategy here is the correct answer provides new evidence that helps the argument. Yep. And then I have it divided into two types. Offensive strengtheners make forward progress toward the conclusion. Defensive strengtheners protect the argument against attack, especially if you've identified a big problem while attacking the argument. Okay. Sure. Any, any tweaks? No, I think that's good. I haven't ever thought about it that way. I've always just thought, okay, do I feel better about the conclusion now? Um, but... Uh, you could divvy that up into two categories, offensive and I defensive. think it's important or I think it's useful for students to think about this because strengthen questions, I think strengthen is the hardest type. I, I, don't, I don't think it's really even close. I think strengthen is the hardest type of question on logical reasoning. Okay. That's just based on experience. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why strengthen is so difficult for students in a lot of cases is because there's just this huge wide range of possible answers. Yeah. Offensive strengtheners are like carrying the ball forward, mm -hmm. but you know, it can be like a touchdown, you know, like the correct answer could be a sufficient assumption, which is something that proves the conclusion. Correct. But the correct answer could also be a two yard run up the middle. Mm -hmm. Like it could be the most boring play Barely makes any progress, but it does make some progress, right? So those are offensive strengtheners where it's like providing new evidence that helps positively prove the case. Yep. And that can be a little to a lot, ideally a lot. But if you don't see an answer that has a lot, then you might have to settle for a little, mm -hmm. right? But then there's a whole class of strengthen questions that they do not help to prove the conclusion. They are not moving the ball at all. What they are doing, though, is defending the argument against a potential attack. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really, it's not a touchdown, and it's not even a two-yard run up the middle. What it is, is it's just sort of protecting the argument. It's defending the argument. You haven't been pushed back. Say it again? You haven't been pushed back. Like, with this defense you, in place, the argument yes. doesn't get, you know, back 10 yards or something. Yeah, it's defense. Yep. It's just it's like batting a pass out of the air or stuffing a run at the line of scrimmage or something. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like it's it's stopping the other team from hurting you. Sure. 
and that's a defensive strengthener. But anyway, um, okay, so strengthen questions as the captain of the bottom up, the old, we would have called it bottom up team. Now we're going to call it answer driven question types. Strengthen has a real wide range and you have to consider if this answer is true. Yep. Not arguing with the truth. I can't, people just get stuck on, well, I couldn't pick that because it was too strong. Yep. And it's like, dude, yeah, but you're not reading the question. You're not understanding that there's different questions on this test. Yeah. And so strengthen questions, which one, if true, most strengthens the argument. And we're going to have that be the captain of the answer-driven question type team. Yes. Okay. I, I think it should be clear, given what you've just said, but to kind of pinpoint the differences here, in an answer-driven question type, like a strengthen question, we are assuming that the five answer choices are true, whereas in a passage-driven question, like which one of the fo- if the statements above are true, which one of the following answers must be true, yep. uh, you're going to actually assume that everything in the passage is true and then try to figure out which answer is proven by that passage. So that's why that's a passage-driven question as opposed to a strengthened question, which is an answer-driven question. Um, that's the fundamental difference between the two big categories is what you're assuming yep. is true. Are you assuming that the passage sh- is true or are you assuming that the five answer choices are true? Yep. I think that's fair to say roughly logical reasoning is always going to have you either accept the passage as true or accept the answers as true. Yep. And it's either the passage proving an answer. That's the passage driven types like must be true. Mm-hmm. Or it's the answer doing something to the passage. That's the answer-driven question types, like strengthen questions. Yeah. Okay. Let's go through the rest of these passage-driven question types. Then must be true is the captain. Sure. Very Actually, similar to must be true. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going to say let's go through the answer-driven because there's fewer of them, so we can knock these out pretty quickly. And they're very similar to strengthen. Okay. So, um, I didn't notice that. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So there are the way I've got it here. There are five answer driven question types. All of them are going to ask you to accept the answers as true and then think about what happens to the argument. Yeah. And, in fact, if I can take a second here, I'm just going to read the example questions for each of these five okay. so people can okay. hear how they're similar, also how they're different, but how they're they're fundamentally similar, similar right? So strengthen, okay. which you already read, was which one of the following, if true, referring to the answer choices, which one of the following answers, if it were true, most strengthens the argument's overall conclusion? Okay, we can question next one in this category just says which one of the following answers again if true most seriously weakens the argument so it's instead of strengthening the argument you're weakening the argument but in both cases you're assuming that all five answer choices are true that they're new pieces of evidence that we're using to either help or hurt the argument sufficient assumption says which one of the following if assumed would justify the conclusion if assumed means the exact same thing as if true or if valid. So it's not, even though they often say if assumed, it, it it's the exact same thing. Which one of the following answers, if true, would justify the conclusion? Yep. Paradox, oh, 
quick distinction here. The, the only difference between sufficient assumption and strengthened questions is that in a sufficient assumption question, you have to find an answer that not only strengthens the conclusion, but actually proves it. Paradox questions, again, do the same thing. Which one of the following, if true, most helps to explain the apparent paradox above? And finally, evaluate questions, say, which one of the following would be most useful to know in order to evaluate the argument? Um, they're not asked, they don't say if true usually, but the point is still the same. You're looking at the five answer choices. You're saying, okay, if I knew this, how would this have an effect on the passage? So that's an answer-driven question. And those are the only five question types that fall into this category. Okay, great. So let's go through the just short strategy for each one. Okay, um, yep. We already did strengthen. Yep. Weekend. The correct answer provides new evidence that makes the conclusion suspect. Frequently, the correct answer will target a weakness you've already identified while attacking the argument. Yep. One thing that, as, as I was writing these strategies or editing the, the, the description of these strategies, I keep coming back over and over to the idea that you have to attack the damn argument in the first place before you ever even know what question type you're dealing with you have to attack the argument yeah now i, I want to make it clear we don't want to get you to 150 that's not our job our, our job is not to get you to 150 so that you can get ripped off by law schools we want to get you to 165 or 170 mm -hmm. i mean i i, I just <laughs> Uh, maybe that means I'm not for everybody. We're not for everybody. That's fine. We don't have to be for everybody. We want people to win the law school admission game. Yep. And the way you win the law school admissions game is by getting an excellent LSAT score of 165 or higher and get yourself a full ride to law school. Um, we're not half-assing it. We're focusing on actually understanding. So no gimmicks. It's actual understanding. That's why we don't read the question first. Yeah. Reading the question first is a gimmick, and it might be helpful for people who are going to not be good at all the question types. Sure. But <laughs> you're not going to get a 165 if you're not good at all the question types. Yeah. So we're not going to read the question first and then skip questions that we're not comfortable with. Mm. We're going to get comfortable with all the damn questions. And that's going to actually allow us to save significant time because we're going to attack each argument basically treat it as if it's going to be a weakened question. You know, we're going to attack the question, attack the argument because it's probably broken. We're going to attack the argument. We're going to find something wrong with it. Probably 65% of the time. Yeah. Maybe more, <laughs> maybe more. Yeah. Then we're going to read the question and then we're going to adapt our approach to the question. I mean, there's a big difference between strengthen and weaken. Yep. But there's also a huge similarity between strengthen and weaken because all it's a matter of what team you're on, like who paid you in this legal matter. Yeah. Because a strengthen, if it's if it turns out to be a strengthen question, okay, then we're gonna help the argument or defend it against attack. If it's a weakened question, then we're gonna attack the argument. And it's really the same operation, except for just a matter of like what who you're playing for. Absolutely. I mean, you have to think about it in terms of a court case. It's not like one side knows what's going to help their argument and the other side doesn't. <laughs> right. They're like, oh, oh, well, that's an interesting point. We hadn't really thought about that. We were focused on pointing out your problems. No, if you want to point out 
someone's problems, you've got to damn well know what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. Because going after their strengths isn't going to help you. It's going after their weaknesses. And if you want to strengthen your argument, you better be prepared to either fix your weaknesses or defend against them. Yeah. And it ain't about like justice and what's right. It's not about right and wrong. It's about argumentation. Yep. It's about it's about what you can prove. Mm-hmm. It's about what the evidence is and what evidence you can find and marshal in favor of what conclusion you want. And if you can't make the argument on both sides, yep. then you suck. <laughs> like You're not a good lawyer yeah. if you can't imagine what the other side is going to say. Yeah. You're just going to lose. Like People who walk in with like, oh, no, I know I'm right. It's like, oh, dear God, <laughs> like there's there's a paid compensated attorney on the other side mm-hmm. whose job it is yeah. to say the exact opposite of everything you're going to say. And you, you know, <laughs> just anyway, it's just like debate or mock trial or moot court or whatever. Like you have to be able to do it on both sides. Yep. Um, okay, so. Always reading the argument first and attacking it. Then figure out what side you're supposed to argue. Mm -hmm. And on a weakened question, the correct answer is going to provide new evidence that makes the conclusion suspect, frequently targeting a weakness that you've already identified while you were attacking the argument. Anything to tweak about our description of weakened questions? Yeah, it's good. All right, sufficient assumption. Next on the list for the... um, Answer-driven question types. Yep. Sufficient assumption questions can be thought of as a super strengthener. Yep. They sound like which one of the following, if assumed, would justify the conclusion? Justify means prove. Yep. So they're asking you very specifically here to make the argument win. Um, Anyway, (laughs) the strategy that I have written down here says, the correct answer bridges a gap in the argument to make the argument win. That is, it proves the conclusion correct. Always predict it before looking at the answer choices. Anything you want to add or tweak or? Um, you said always predict it before looking at the answer choices. I would say that these, and you said this earlier, but are easier than strengthen questions because yes. the test writers are they're they're severely restricted. They they are there are only a certain number of answers that they can give you that would effectively prove the conclusion, get us all the way to the conclusion. And so that's why it becomes very easy to predict because in a strengthened question, who knows? I mean, you could, like you said, you could just defend the argument against attack or you could move the ball forward a yard or two. Um, and there's a million ways to do that. Whereas in a sufficient assumption question, we know we have to get to the touchdown. And yeah, there might be five different ways to get there, but you've got to get there. And so there are certain elements you know have to be met. You know, oh, we're going to have to make these 15 yards up, so the answer better cover these 15 yards or it's not going to work. That's why you have to be able to predict it and should become one of the easiest questions in logical reasoning. It's almost like a game. It's like a logic game, really, right? Yeah, and but ironically, it is frequently the difference between somebody scoring in the high 160s and somebody scoring in the low 170s. We see this all the time. I, you know, I I talk to students, I mean every day of my life, I talk to students and 
very frequently it'll be some high level student who still struggles with a few logical reasoning questions and they haven't gotten over the hump yet on sufficient assumption. And they're probably thinking um, of them in terms of necessary assumption or they don't even know. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. They, what they haven't learned is how easy sufficient assumption questions actually are. Yeah. It's formulaic. They're going to give you some evidence. They're going to give you a conclusion for whatever reason, the evidence just doesn't quite prove the conclusion. Yep. There's a gap there somewhere. And it's a lot of times it's just like, Hey, here's a premise. Here's the conclusion. There's a new element in the conclusion. See, see the new element in the conclusion, see this hanging thread in the evidence. Well, all you have to do is say, if hanging thread, then new element in conclusion. Yep. And that's all you have to do is just like, just plug them, just plug that gap. Uh, yeah, it's a huge opportunity. If you're missing sufficient assumption questions, you just, you can't, you got to start predicting the answer. Oh, well, I want to double down on that too. It turns out that, um, because the correct answer has to prove the conclusion, the test writer is, oh, I, I don't think I've, I don't know if I've ever seen an argument in a sufficient assumption question that had more than one error, maybe, maybe two, but if if the test writers inject two potential gaps in the reasoning in a sufficient assumption question, <laughs> then the correct answer is going to have to address both of them. That makes their job harder. Right. So most of these arguments are actually very good. Like there's everything kind of flows along except for there's one problem. It may be a big problem, but it's still just one problem. So that's why these become so easy. Whereas in a flaw question, you know, there could be three flaws and you're, <laughs> What's the correct right. answer? Well, I don't know. Let's right. find one of those. And you missed that one. Right. Yep. So to just to kind of recap a little bit. Sure. A sufficient assumption is a fact that proves the argument correct. Yep. It's also the world's best strengthener. On a if you're doing a strengthening question and you happen to see an answer that is a sufficient assumption of the argument. Mm -hmm then that's the answer because it proves the conclusion of the argument correct. And you can't strengthen an argument more than proving the conclusion of an argument yeah, correct. It's game over. It's a touchdown. So, you don't need to run any further. <laughs> right. So so real easy strengthen questions might have sufficient assumption answers. Mm -hmm. But the reason why strengthen is so much harder than sufficient assumption is that sufficient assumption question you know what you're looking for. You're looking for the touchdown. You're looking for the thing that proves like we can't do any better than that. That's going to make us win. Yep. Strengthen questions. If you find that great, that's the answer. But if you don't find that, then you have to settle for the next best thing. And the next best thing sometimes is like really pretty shitty. Yeah. You know, there's the there four are answers questions that where weaken, the correct right? answer is just, <laughs> well, well, that, that that's also a kind of an easy strengthen question if four answers actually hurt the argument. Mm -hmm. The hardest type of strengthen question is four irrelevant answers. Like they use all the right words, but they just don't mean anything that does anything to the argument. Those are hard answers to get through because you're just like, what? It seems like they're kind of talking about the right topic, but it doesn't mean the right thing that does something to this argument. And then the one right answer sometimes will just be circumstantial. Mm -hmm. It'll just be like this. Well, that doesn't prove the case, but it kind of slightly helps. And that's where I'm talking about that one, one yard, two yard run up the middle where it's like, well, 
It's not great. Worse, right? You get the four irrelevant answers, and then you get that one that defends against an attack that someone maybe didn't quite notice. An attack that you hadn't predicted. Yeah. That's also really tough. And yeah. then you're sitting there going, well, what is, why? Well, that's also irrelevant. And you're like, yeah, but at least now we know that ain't a problem. So the argument's right. in a better position right. than it was two minutes ago. So that strengthened it more than these other four. Right. Yep. Okay. So we've got strengthen, weaken, and sufficient assumptions so far on the bottom up, or sorry, the uh, answer-driven question types. Yep. Two more. Paradox. An example of a paradox question says, which one of the following, if true, most helps to explain the apparent paradox above? Yep. The strategy that I've got here is identify the mystery before going into the answers. Get curious. Ask yourself, why is one fact happening even though the other fact is happening? Usually they won't like quite make sense. Mm -hmm. They'll seem like they're at odds with one mm -hmm. another. The correct answer will give you new evidence that provides a satisfying explanation for the mystery. I like this. I would add, too, that this is a question type that I almost, I, I think it's safe to say always, not just almost, but all, like probably always, I read the passage, there appears to be a contradiction or mystery, right? and it's, I'm like, okay, they're going to ask me to explain the paradox, and bam, they do. So once yep. you get better at this test, <laughs> you know you're on the right track when you start predicting the even the question that's going to be asked. Yeah. That's what I would say, too. It's it's certainly a sign that you know what you're doing if you read the passage and you go, oh, I bet this is going to be a paradox question because it's like, hey, on the one hand, this, but on the other hand, this. Yeah. What? And if you are reading it properly in the first place, then you very likely will have gotten curious as you're reading the passage. Mm-hmm you'll notice that there's a mystery or a paradox. Yeah. And then when you go into the answer choices, you're just looking for the one that kind of scratches the itch, right? The itch is, mm, I feel a little uncomfortable because there's this mystery, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, that's a puzzle to be solved. Then the correct answer is going to satisfy that curiosity. You're going to go, ah, yeah. Okay. I see that scratches that itch. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Perfect. All right. Last one under uh, the uh, answer-driven question types is evaluate. This is a pretty rare type of question, and I, I don't know that it fits super neatly into the into into this family of questions, but I kind of shoehorned it in there. the The question sounds like which one of the following would be most useful to know in order to evaluate the argument. And each one of the answers is going to be either a question or it's going to be like a, a statement that starts with whether. In other words, each answer is like showing you a, um, it's, it's like proposing a question to ask, or it's proposing an, an issue that we would like to know the answer for. Yeah, it's like, here are five things you could learn. Here are five doors you could open and reveal yep. some information. Which door do you want to open? And you right. don't know what is on the other side of the door, but you know what uh, you'll learn 
once you open that door. So for right. example, you the question might be, or the question on the door might be whether most people like ice cream. And so you're like, well, I, it doesn't tell me whether most people like ice cream, but if I open that door, I'll know whether that's true. Most people do like ice cream or false. No, it's not true that most people like ice cream. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, well, would that be really revealing? If I knew that, would I be like, oh yeah, now the argument yeah. makes sense or the argument's actually pretty shitty um, right. or not? Or does that information turn out to not be so helpful? Yeah. So for my strategy or our strategy here, it says, ask yourself, which one will help me determine whether the argument is good or bad? Mm-hmm. And then I have play with extremes. Pretend the answer to the question, and that is what I mean is the question posed by the answer choice. Yes. Remember, because on this ty- on this question type, each of the five answer choices is going to be a question you could ask. So play with extremes with answers to that question. Pretend the answer is 0% or 100%. Pretend the answer is never or always. Pretend the answer is noon or midnight. The one that makes a difference is correct. Would the information in this answer either help or hurt the conclusion more than the other four answers? I don't know if we need that last bit. Can we cut that? Uh, I think we can stop right there. I, I think that's enough. Yeah, I mean, the idea here, I, I actually think this fits pretty well into the answer-driven category because at the end okay. of the day, in my mind, um, we don't know what the answer to the question, and by question, I mean the question in the five answer choices. <laughs> it's so hard to talk about. That's the only problem. This is like an easy question type, but it's impossible to describe. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, yes, go so ahead. So in each answer choice, there's a question. And... The answer to that question is is usually yes or no, like do most people like ice cream or not? And then you play with the two possible answers, yes, they do, or no, they don't. Um, and, and then you're treating the, the answer to those questions as if they are true. You're saying, oh, yes, it is true that most people like ice cream, or no, it is not true that most people like ice cream. And then you're asking yourself if that is true, how does that affect the conclusion? And if it is not true, how does that affect the conclusion? So it's definitely like we're going from the answer choices and either strength, seeing which answer does the most to strengthen or weaken the argument, depending on whether the answer is yes or no to that question in that answer choice. Okay, so that's a lot of words. But the point is, is I kind of see evaluate questions as a mix between strengthen and weaken. Yes. Yes. Like the same and, skills and just, are being, you know, tapped into. Absolutely. Yeah. Which one of these is going to be, which one of these is going to make a difference? Yep. And it, it is useful though to play with the extremes. Mm-hmm. So either 0% like ice cream or 100% like ice cream. And if it's 0%, let's say it'll make the argument look bad. And if it's 100%, let's say it'll make the argument look good. Or the reverse. Yeah. But the point is, it's like, this is a good, like, we'd like to know this issue because the answer to this issue is going to tell us whether this argument is good or bad. Well, one thing you have to be careful there, though. I, I think, um, I agree. I'm By playing with extremes, wh- what I mean or what I'm thinking in my head is I'm playing with the two answers to the question. So the, the example yes. I proposed was, 
whether most people like ice cream. So the two extremes are yes, they do or no, they don't. And oftentimes that may lead you to say, hey, there's not much of a difference between whether most people do or most people don't. <laughs> and so therefore this answer choice is not going to be too helpful. Like, in other words, maybe you can't go from zero to a hundred because that's not the information that's going to be revealed. They're not going to, if the, if the answer choice says whether most people like ice cream, once you open that door, you're not going to know whether it's zero or a hundred. All you're going to know is yes, it's more than half or no, it's not more than half, which may not be as significant of a difference to really help you evaluate the argument. You know what I mean? So when you're playing with extremes, you have to make sure you're playing with the extremes that they give you in that answer choice um, and not invent information that you still won't have once you open that door. That's the answer-driven question types. Yep. Captained by strengthen, but also weaken, sufficient assumption, Paradox and evaluate are all on that team. Okay, so then we go back to the passage-driven question types. Yep. Captained by must be true. Yep. Co-captained by supported, which there's really not a lot of difference between these two question types. An example question would be, which one of the following is most strongly supported by the information above? Instead of one that says, hey, which answer choice is explicitly proven by the information above? or by, you know, by the passage, this one's going to say, um, which one is most strongly supported. Ideally, you're going to find an answer that is proven. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I think most of the times you will. I agree. We were doing this question last night in class or a supported question. We did a couple and, um, I, I explained it just like that. It's so much easier to just ask yourself which one of the following answer choices has to be true. And in one of the questions that we did, I eliminated all five answers. And ultimately, the correct answer, uh, I think everyone could see. It didn't have to be true. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I can see why it's the most supported. And it's very yep. close. It's very close to must be true. But it, yeah, the facts are certainly pointing in that direction. They seem as if this is what they were trying to prove. Maybe it's not strictly proven by these facts because of some quibble that I have. But I can't pick any of these other four answers because they're not even close. And this one answer is, uh, you know, hey, the record is kind of at least pointing. There might be some distance between the passage and the answer. But the passage is definitely kind of pointing at that answer. Yeah. That'll be correct. And you can see why Strategy. the test writers said that, right? Why they said which one of the following is most strongly to supported. To make the test and you're more like, okay. legally defensible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's a strategy for this type of question. Treat these questions just like must be trues. The correct answer is the one that's easiest to prove based on the facts on the page. Wrong answers will be different or extra. I don't think we even need all this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep it real simple. Do we need anything? Do we need to say all that? Because if we are, then why didn't we say that for must be true? I think I cut that out of must be true and I didn't cut it out of this. Well, I do think the value, I don't know if, if <laughs> I think one thing we need to hit home, even if not, if not both of these things, is that the correct answer can simply restate one of the claims in the passage. I, I don't know. For some reason, people forget that or think that they have to you know, find something, quote, new, even though that's actually the opposite of what we're trying to do here. Right? Like, they see an answer choice that restates the second to last sentence. And they think that's wrong. (laughs) 
people miss necessary assumption questions for the exact same reason. Okay. So both must be true and supported. Mm -hmm. I'm saying the correct answer is the one that's easiest to prove based on the facts on the page. Sometimes the answer will just restate part of the passage. Wrong answers will be different or extra. Yep. And it's like basically the exact same, the exact same strategy for must be trues and supported. If, if I was forced to treat these as one question type, you, it wouldn't make any difference. No, Cause you're still looking okay. for the best answer. Right. right. At the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So continuing on with passage driven question types, we get to a type that just asks you for the conclusion of an argument, yep. which one of the following most accurately states the conclusion drawn in the argument for a strategy here. This is a little bit long, so hopefully we can cut some of this out. Um, example question, which one of the following most accurately states the conclusion drawn in the argument? Okay. Strategy. Always predict the answer before proceeding to the answer choices. I do think that's important. I think main conclusion questions or just conclusion questions are very predictable. And I think you can protect yourself by going in with a good prediction. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a lot here. I I guess Why did I say? when I think about this question type, I think, I think of two scenarios. One, you... For, and this is the this is like ninety five percent of these questions. You've read the argument. The conclusion is in there somewhere. If you don't know where the conclusion is before you even read this question type, you're not reading the argument correctly, right? Like mm -hmm. you need to know. So this is one of the easiest question types on the test, especially if you're doing the test correctly, because when you read the argument originally and you had no idea that it was a conclusion question, you still read it carefully. You still identified what the author was concluding and even got to a point where you were deciding whether or not that conclusion was good or bad. So this is like a task that should have been taken care of a long time ago. And so when I read this question type, I'm 95% of the time going back and saying, aha, that right there is the conclusion I identified it a while back, and I'm just looking for an answer choice that simply restates that. It might use slightly different words, but it's gonna say the exact same idea, and that's it. That's yeah. the end of the story. Now, there are this 5% of conclusion questions in which they say something like, which one of the following most accurately states the conclusion that the argument is structured to draw, you know? And it's like, oh, they're kind of tipping their hat to this idea that they're going to give you an answer that is something that the author would conclude, was, was most obviously going to conclude on the basis of the claims that he or she just made, but it's not explicitly stated there. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes that's, that's what they do. Okay, so I edited this down. Okay. Strategy here. Always predict the answer before proceeding to the answer choice. I do think that's critical. I mean, to to go to like take this all a step back, right? We're talking about question types, but we would never be on the question until we had already attacked that argument. And you can't attack an argument without knowing what the evidence is and what the conclusion is. Yeah. I mean, if you if they made an argument, you need to know what the damn conclusion is. Yeah. Uh, for all for all question types, what no matter what type this turns out to be. If they made an argument, you need to know what the conclusion is. Yeah, if you're is. going back and you're looking for the conclusion after you read this question type, you didn't do <laughs> yeah. it correctly. Oh, this is a conclusion question. Oh, let me reread and find the conclusion. Yep. No. Okay, then you're clearly not doing it right. Yep. 
You need to, you needed to read it in, in the first place. Yep. Like what else are you doing? If you're not looking for their, their conclusion, like, what do you want? What are you trying to prove? What's your evidence? What are you trying to prove? Cause then I'm going to tell you why your evidence does or does not prove your conclusion. Yeah. And not all passages have a conclusion, but you should have damn well figured that out before you even read the question. Yes. Yes. Okay. So here's the strategy. Always predict the answer. Keywords like thus, so, and therefore can help, but don't rely on them exclusively. Some of what they have said is evidence. That evidence is meant to prove one of the other things they've said. So ask yourself, what are they trying to prove? Yep. All right. Um, <laughs> keywords. I swear to God, there are questions on the test that are explicitly designed to catch people out who are just using keywords. Yeah. There are examples of conclusion questions where there's a thus at the very beginning of one of the premises or an intermediate conclusion, but not the main conclusion. So keywords, again, it's like that Kaplan thing of like, well, just go look at keywords. You know, like I think what, you know, so think about what Kaplan wants you to do. Yep. Read the question first, not the passage. Then when you realize, oh, it's a conclusion question. I'm good at this type of question. All I have to do, I don't even have to read the argument. I just have to scan the passage, look for a keyword and pick the answer. And, and it's right. You'll get it right. Like 60% of the time. Yep. And that will reaffirm your strategy and <laughs> you'll, be, you'll say this test is so easy. Look how, look how good I am at the, I'm glad I learned this garbage Kaplan strategy so that I can get a 150 <laughs> so I can go to some crappy law school and pay full price. Um, that's not what we're about. We're about actual understanding. And by the way, you're going to be just as fast on this question type. The only thing is you'll never miss it. You'll, you, you know, because what if there aren't any keywords? So that's where the Kaplan method just completely breaks down. There's no keywords in the argument. Yeah. Oh no, I can't just use a keyword. Oh, uh, what do I do now? Hmm. It's like, oh, I have to actually understand the damn argument. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you do. But you you also have to like I mean, as you're saying, you have to absolutely understand it when there are keywords. In fact, maybe even more so because when there are <laughs> keywords and they're using them to introduce an intermediate conclusion, which is totally justified and legit and all that jazz, um well, if you're reading to understand, you'll realize, "Oh, that's just a conclusion that the author draw on the path to drawing her main conclusion." There's no confusion here. You pick yep. the right answer, you're good to go. But if you if you're if you're even like even for folks who aren't as <laughs> misguided, let's say, as those who go in solely looking for keywords. Like I, I imagine there's a large group of people who know they need to read the argument, but they're also like heavily focused on keywords. I think that's a that's just as damaging because they're not paying attention to the underlying message or substance. Right. And so then they still, they, it's almost like worse because they think that they're doing that, but they're not. They're kind of like kind of seeing the word therefore and then being like, yeah, okay, okay, that must be the conclusion. And yeah, it's just, yeah. That's what happens when you focus on these gimmicks. Yep. Like I, I really want, I mean, my mission as, you know, my, my contribution that I want to bring to the demon mm -hmm. team is this like bullshit detector of, if it's not related to actually understanding this shit, I don't want us to be talking about it. And so this like 
and, and that's the whole read the question first is not related to actually understanding this shit. That's a gimmicky shortcut that, you know, you're, it's like they necessarily are asking you to cut corners off of the test. Yeah. They're like, Oh no, no, no. You don't have time to actually read this. We're going to give you a shortcut. That's going to work 70% of the time, (laughs) but a shortcut that works 70% of the time is going to actually prevent you from scoring in the one seventies. Yeah. You can't get that last 25% because this is necessarily blocking you from those question types or those questions in which LSAC has written around the uh, shortcut. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny too. I don't even know if these other places realize that on some level, I think they believe a lot of what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that they, I, I don't know. I shouldn't speculate. I don't know what they're thinking. I, they, they seem to, they think they're helping people. I mean, they do. So I think that is a pretty big fundamental difference, right? If you ask me honestly, Nathan, you just helped somebody get from 130 to 140. Did you help them? I would say, no, I did not. Yeah. Possibly could have hurt them because now they're going to, yeah, I probably hurt them. They're going to go to a school that they Right. Could have been excluded I, from if they had the 130. <laughs> Kaplan and Princeton would be like unequivocally, yes, that we helped 10 that points. Person. Can you see that? 10 points. Yeah. yeah, they normally don't help people that much. So they're like going to be very proud of the fact that they got somebody from 130 to 140. If we did that, if I did that, I would be like, I would like lose sleep at night. I'd be like, I'm giving you just enough rope to hang yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give you enough rope to hang yourself. I want you to either go for free or not at all. And so the only type of strategies that I'm interested in are the type that are going to lead you to actual understanding of the test and a score in the one sixties or hopefully in the one seventies and a full ride. I just, I'm not interested in anything else. Well, bonus side bonus here. These skills will also help you in law school. So this isn't just like, (laughs) let's get into law school. These are, uh, let's just become better thinkers. Yeah, that's, it's, that's, that's true. I, I was going to say it's ironic, but maybe it's not ironic. It's, it's maybe that's like the reason why. I, I, I don't know. We don't see the LSAT as this like disconnected hurdle, you know, this like, oh, no, no. Oh, the LSAT doesn't have anything to do. And, you know, like shitty law schools will actually say this. Shitty law schools will be like, well, the LSAT doesn't really have anything to do with law school. It's just, you know, it's just an admission test that you have to. It's a necessary evil. It's mm-hmm. a thing that you have to do before you go to law school, but it's totally disconnected. And that's just not true. I mean, the I can't tell you how many times I used the skills that I developed via LSAT in in my 1L year. Yeah. Like I distinctly remember getting an A on one of my exams because of some like way of thinking that I had discovered or the, the, the difference between sufficient and necessary comes up in law school all the time. Yep. And just fundamental reading skills and identifying the conclusion because these opinions are fucking long and they meander (laughs) all over the place. And you're like, okay, where is this going? And why is it, what purpose is it serving in the document as a whole? Well, that's exactly what conclusion questions and then eventually reading comp tests. Yeah, we want you to embrace the LSAT. Like, we want you to learn to love it and get really good at it. Like, you can actually understand it and thereby get really good at it and then just go kill it in law school. Like, go go to law school for free and kill it in law school. 
that's what we're about. We're we're not about like getting you to 150 so that you can go pay full price and then also really struggle in law school. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh see if we can keep it moving. Um we are shortening these descriptions as we go. So that's that is good. Um all right, flaw questions. Flaw questions um are a passage driven question type. They are like a must be true. An example question is which one of the following most accurately describes a flaw in the argument as opposed to weaken, right? Weaken is which one, if true, will change the argument for the worse. Mm -hmm. Flaw questions are which one is a flaw inherent in the argument. So the strategy here, I like to think about these in two steps. Um, the correct answer will describe exactly what the argument is doing wrong. Do it in two steps. If you can answer, if you can't answer yes to both of these questions, the answer is wrong. One, does the answer describe exactly what's happening in the argument? If you can't prove they did it, there's no need to go to step two. This is key because frequently students will try to do both steps at once. Yeah. Uh, but the second step is, is the flaw a problem for the particular argument? So does pointing this out, put the argument in a bad spot. I, th I would encourage you to do it one step at a time yep. because most answers are going to fail on step one. Yeah, and it's much easier of a test, right? You're just like, right. Am I, do I see the components of this answer choice in the actual argument and are they happening as described? No. I mean, that was kind of wordy, but the point is, is as yeah. I'm reading the answer choice, I can just try to pin each word back to the argument. And as soon as I can't, I'm done reading too. You don't even have to read the whole answer choice. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't prove they did it, then it's just not going to be the answer regardless of whether it would be a problem if they had done it. So flaw questions very frequently as wrong answers, they're going to include frequently tested flaws. They're very problematic. That would be problematic if they were happening, but they're not happening here. So they're not the answer. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and that's where the more you practice flaws, you'll get familiar with the, you know, top 10 flaws that they test all the time confusing sufficient for necessary, confusing correlation for causation, you know, the part the to big hold. ones. Yeah. Yep. And when, and you'll start to read the answer and you'll realize that they're describing one of those flaws and you can immediately just go, well, yeah, sure. If they had done that, that would be a problem, but I don't care because I, they didn't do that. I can't prove that they did that. So next. Yep. So two steps on a flaw question. Did they do it? And if they did it, then you can go to that next step, which is, hey, if I point this out, does it put them in a bad spot? Like, am I, am I pointing out a problem with their argument? Yep. Okay. Next on the um, passage-driven question types is necessary assumption. Sounds like which one of the following is an assumption on which the argument depends or relies? Strategy, ask yourself, which answer does the author have to agree with? This is the only one that I actually got down to just like one thing. Yep. Many, many, many times <laughs> I've been looking at the ask button requests. Many times students will write in and go, I couldn't pick that answer because I thought it was just the conclusion of the argument. I thought they already said that. I thought they already said that. Yeah. 
And that's never the correct analysis on a necessary assumption question. Necessary assumption questions are very similar to must be trues. Yep. All you have to ask yourself is which one does the author have to agree with? And if it sounds like it's a restatement of their argument, that's because it's the answer. Simple as that. Okay. You, usually, by the way, else. when you dig into these things, it turns out they didn't actually say that. You just thought they right. did. And that's, you know, a different well, problem. It but felt like they said that yeah. because they necessarily assumed it. They had to be thinking that. And you and filled that in for them. <laughs> it's a clear example of why the LSAT is super, super tightly related to law school. In your yep. legal writing class, in your 1L year, they're going to beat it into you that you have to make everything explicit. And you're going to think, well, I said that. No, I said it. It's right there. It's in the passage. And like, you might have a 2L TA who's like, really? Okay, put your finger on it. Like, show me where you said it. Listen to what I'm saying. And, you know, and they'll say a statement. <laughs> now, show me where you said that in your pass in your brief. And you'll, you'll be like, well, I mean, okay, I didn't explicitly, it, 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 but it's just because of this whole paragraph, it emerges as a part of, you know, and it's like, they're, they're going to be like, no, no, this is legal writing. It's okay to be heavy handed. You need to make every single step explicit. And so on a necessary assumption question, yeah, lots of times the answer will sound like a restatement of the passage. Mm -hmm. But all, all they're pointing out is you want the, the, you have to make it explicit. And so you think they said it great. That's the answer. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not expressing myself very clearly. I think that's it. The, which one does the author have to agree yeah. with? Which answer would the author be, uh, have to accept because if they didn't, their argument would make any sense. It wouldn't make any right. sense. Cool. Okay. Next on the agenda is disagree. We can also call this agree. I mean, agree and disagree questions are basically the exact same. It's just... Um, What's your goal? Yep. You got, you've got two speakers, and they're either explicitly agreeing about something or disagreeing about something. Yep. In either case... Um, Oh, sorry, an example question. Oh, I don't need to. The statements above provide the most support for holding that Mark and Simon, for example, disagree about whether whatever. Yep. Okay, so your strategy here is focus on one person at a time. One. Yeah. Well, so here, let me let me jump back here for half a second. I feel like the strategy here is in most of these questions, we are predicting the answer. We read Mark's argument very carefully. We, we had maybe disagreements with it. And then we read Simon's argument very carefully, and we maybe had disagreements. But as you were reading Simon's argument, you're kind of like, oh, okay, well, Simon and Mark clearly disagree on this point, which may or may not be their conclusion. They could be disagreeing about their evidence. They could just, who knows what. Right, but as you're reading the second person's argument very carefully and 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 judging whether it's a good or bad argument, you're also at the same time thinking about how that argument compares to Marx. And you're not doing this because you know you're on a disagree question. You're doing this because that's how you read arguments carefully. Mark just said something. Now Simon is responding, and you're not only assessing Simon's argument by itself, but also how it stands as a response to Mark. And and so. 
in most of these questions, I think the strategy is simply, okay, I already know what they disagree about. They clearly don't agree that rats should be tested in cages. And then you go in and that's the answer. But for the harder ones, I think it can help people to just focus on one person at a time. Well, okay. And I mean, so you're right. So strategy, predict the answer. Then go in and look at one person at a time. Does Mark, if it's if Mark is the first speaker, yep. does Mark agree or disagree with answer with the answer you're looking at? Yep. Or is it unclear? Yeah. If it's unclear, then that's not going to be the nope, answer. It's wrong. Yeah. Great. Then if Mark ex, you know clearly says yes or no to one of to, to an answer, then you can look at Simon. Mm-hmm. Does Simon agree or disagree? And it has to be the opposite of Mark. Exactly. So to continue on with the strategy, we need a clear yes from one speaker and a clear no from the other. Yep. If they agree or if one speaker is unclear, it's wrong. If one speaker agrees and the other disagrees, then that answer is correct. Yep. I think that this is just a lot of words. Yeah, we can Um, just delete this. It's repeating itself at the end. Disagree all. Yeah. Mm, Or maybe... Sorry, this. Yeah, at least. Okay, yeah. great. All right. Next question type on the um, passage-driven question types is reasoning. An example is which one of the following most accurately describes the method of reasoning used in the argument? Strategy. Treat it like must be true. The correct answer is the only one that's provable based on the given statement. Ask yourself, does this answer describe exactly what's happening in the passage? Okay. Um, this is basically the first half of a flaw question, right? So a flaw question is asking you to figure out something that the argument is doing wrong. And so what you're doing is you're asking yourself, okay, does this argument describe, or does this answer choice describe exactly what's happening in the argument? And question two, is that a problem? On a flaw. On a flaw question, right? In a reasoning question, all you're just skipping that second step. You're simply asking, does this answer describe something that happened or is happening in the argument right now? That's it. So yep. these are like easier flaw questions. If you can do flaw questions, then you can definitely do reasoning questions. Yeah, I'm moving this in the document. I think we should do it right before we do flaw. Yeah, it's almost like a warm up, right? <laughs> right. Um, Get your mind. And same with roll. Roll falls into the exact same category. Which actually we right. merged together in the demon into one type. Oh, really? Reasoning and role are one type. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um I I tweaked reasoning as well because I it said, does this answer describe exactly what's happening in the passage? But I'm I'm a little nervous because it doesn't have to describe the whole argument. It just needs to describe something that they did in the argument. Oh, now, absolutely. it needs to exactly yeah. describe it. But it doesn't need to encompass the whole argument. It doesn't need to encompass the conclusion of the argument. All it does on a reasoning question is it's like, hey, I can prove they did this. Yep. I mean, that's even true it in have a to be flaw the whole question, thing. right? It only has to describe one of the flaws, which may be from one part of the argument. If there are multiple flaws, yeah, yeah the correct answer might just be one of the flaws. Okay, so for the role variant of a reasoning question... Mm-hmm. And maybe we just take this out of the, I I don't know. I I do think that there's a, 
a fundamental strategy that's worth talking about, sure. which is, um, so this, the, the question sounds like the claim that there is a crisis in journalism plays, which one of the following roles in the critics argument yep. where they're, they're bringing up a part of the argument and they're saying, Hey, what was this specific piece? Yep. What was this? Yep. And I think it's easiest to, to start with a simple prediction. Is it the conclusion? Is it evidence for the conclusion? Or is it something else? Yep. And that's basically it. Sure. Okay. And, and but the question is still going to be the same, the same as a reasoning question and the first and the same as the first question in a flaw question. You're going to ask yourself, does this answer describe what that thing, that claim, is doing exactly. Because if it if its description is off in any way, shape, or form, that answer choice is wrong. Um, it kind of illustrates the similarity between, between these three question types, reasoning, role, and flaw. These are the three question types in which the answer choices are descriptions of what's happening as opposed to um, other answer choices in other question types in which they're just giving you, like, facts or... or you know, pieces of information. These are descriptions. Yep. These are, and these are the only three types that do that. Okay. Four more. Okay. Uh, the, as it turns out, the passage driven question types are, you know, they dominate yep. this section. Necessary assumption is next. An example question is which one of the following is an assumption. Oh wait, we already did necessary yep. assumption. And we bad. did disagree. Um, mm -hmm. And we did disagree. Okay. So, oh, so we only have two left. Parallel reasoning and parallel flaw. Parallel reasoning. Example, which one of the following is most closely parallel in its reasoning to the reasoning in the argument above? Yep. Strategy. Start with a rough test of good versus bad, which you already should have done as you were reading the passage. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, you get done with the passage. You need to know always, no matter what question, you need to know whether the argument was good or bad. By the way, in the demon, these two types are merged together as well, just as parallel. They're just called parallel. Yeah. Okay. I mean, again, that was just an attempt to <laughs> limit the number of types because sure. are the differences significant enough? I think there are some differences, but they're also there the differences between a parallel reasoning and a parallel flaw have a lot more to do with what you did, I think, up front, right? Which hopefully you've figured out. Like what you did when you were reading the argument initially. Okay. I am going to just change the name here a little bit. Um, so mm -hmm. there's a role variant of a reasoning question. Almost like, yes. The demon's going to just call them a reasoning question. And you'll you'll see that they're asking you for the role of a particular claim. Yep. Parallel has a flaw variant. The flaw variant of the parallel question is where they tell you that there's a flaw. Yep. Anyway, back to the parallel type. Yep. We're always going to start with a rough test of good versus bad as we're reading. Then when we see that it's a parallel question, we're going to think about, well, okay, the argument was good, yep. so I need a good answer. Yep. Or the argument was bad, so I need a bad answer. Yeah. If the argument is obviously flawed, then the correct answer will be flawed in the same way. If the argument is valid, the correct answer will be valid in the same way. Eliminate wrong answers as soon as they deviate from the given argument. You shouldn't need to read all of every answer to know it's wrong. I do want people, I agree with that 100%, but I also want people to be careful because sometimes they reorder 
the premises and the conclusion, right, in the answer choices. And sometimes people read right. the first sentence and they're like, well, that's not at right. all like the first sentence in the original argument. Therefore, this is not parallel. Therefore, this is wrong. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Make sure you're comparing apples to apples. Right. I agree. Um, the order is not relevant. Yep. They might have ended with their conclusion in the given argument and the correct answer might have the conclusion first. Yep. So you're not going to eliminate answers just because things are out of order, but you can certainly eliminate answers if the given argument, for example, was talking about sufficient and necessary, like it had a whole bunch of conditional statements. Yep. And then answer choice A starts off with cause and effect. Yeah. You're like, oh, I didn't see that like, anywhere whoa. in the original given argument. So that's wrong. Yeah, that's not about order of operations. Yep. That's a completely different thing. Now we're talking about a completely different idea. Yep. If it's a different idea, not not different topic, but a different idea, like just a different type of reasoning, different type of argument, then that's out. And you don't need to read the whole thing to see if it's going to turn itself into a correct answer. Yeah. That's my that's what I really want people to realize about parallel questions. Sure. Is that if it's if it's partially wrong, it's 100% wrong. Yep. And it, you you don't have time to read every answer choice all the way through. Yeah. Um I want to point out here that this is not gimmicky. This is not a shortcut. This is not a like substitute for understanding. What this is, is wrong answers don't even have to make sense. 80% of answers are wrong. And on parallel questions, the answer choices are also really long. And so you, the way to get through parallel questions in a reasonable amount of time is to know what you're looking for and then be ruthless in getting rid of wrong answers. Frequently, you can get rid of wrong answers in three or four words. You just read the beginning of it and you're like, well, wait a second. That's a whole different idea. Yeah. So that's out. Okay. Flaw variant of the parallel question type sounds like which one of the following exhibits the flawed reasoning most similar to the flawed reasoning above. They are asking you to match the flaw. I can't tell you how many times I have had a student pick it, you know, well, what's wrong with this answer? This answer is perfect. And I look at the answer and I go, Hey, it's not flawed. Yeah. <laughs> that, that argument is valid. Yeah. What are you doing? Yep. They asked you to match a flawed argument. The correct answer that you pick must be flawed. Yeah. And, and like, if it doesn't have exactly the same flaw, then that's not going to be the answer. So what I have here is don't look for a strategy. Don't look at the answers until you've spotted the flaw. Yep. I think that's critical. I mean, you just have no business looking at the answer choices on a parallel flaw question. Yeah. If you don't know what the flaw is. Yeah. Make a clear objection, then find the answer that is susceptible to the same objection. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Cool. I think we can cut the rest of this stuff yep. because... And we can probably do that for parallel as well, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that shortened things up a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think people are going to think that this is either our best episode because we talked about hardcore LSAT strategy <laughs> the entire time, yeah. or they're going to think it's our worst episode because we talked about hardcore LSAT strategy the entire time. You can let us know what you think. Uh, email help at thinkinglsat.com and uh, get on the agenda for a future show. Yeah. Um, the, by the way, this will all be used in the LSAT demon 
uh, as a uh, just basic strategies for each of these question types. Yeah, but <laughs> you don't want to use the term rubric. Did we come up with an alternative? No, we're gonna with that. We need a different the rubric. Is not correct. I I don't know where I pulled that word out of, but kind of like it because it, it sticks word. out. It's like we don't use it for anything else. <laughs> it's just incorrectly. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. just not <laughs> okay. All right. Um, that was that. You want to do a couple uh, emails and then we'll wrap up this episode. Yeah, let's do that. Maybe move some of these others to the next episode. Yeah, yeah, we'll move it. Move it to the daily. Oh, by the way, we have another podcast. It's called LSAT Demon Daily. If you've been a subscriber of Thinking LSAT and you can't get enough of us, uh, go find the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. Those are shorter episodes, and it's five days a week. Yeah, or if you get if you've had too much of us, you could still go there and hear some of <laughs> our demon uh, team members. And maybe they'll give you I like reprieve. the show. I just don't like that they go on and on and on for f- two fucking hours. Okay, yeah, the Demon Daily in that case would be for you. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, Read this email. Yeah, I'm going to tackle this first one. So this is from Rachel. Thanks for writing in. I feel like I know the answer to this question, but I still want to ask. Okay. As a senior in high school, I performed a three-hour dance performance called a Vishara Harad. Oh, she's got the pronunciation for me. It doesn't help. You literally don't look forward at all, do you, when you're reading? Ben, the way Ben reads, I've been doing this now for, you know, hundreds yeah, of yeah. hours with Ben, where we're looking at the same document and he, and he is reading it out loud. As I read, part of my brain is reading forward. Mm. Well, you got some. As Ben reads, he literally is reading every word one at a time and just doesn't see the next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because this document that we have, Rachel has helpfully given a phonetic she, she spelling. knows my failures although i'm not really good at these phonetic <laughs> things either so visharad 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 yeah visharad yeah. okay well thanks rachel i very appreciate it but unfortunately i didn't take advantage of them so that's weird you you look ahead to the words that you haven't you're not on i guess i don't know maybe you got some I'm... sort of um evolutionary advantage there i i don't do that i'm really good at reading i am very good at reading it's true um but yeah that's part of what i do is i i I am kind of scanning ahead Hmm. okay yeah okay well so here i go on to my next word whatever it may be Uh, (laughs) one word at a time it could be like the 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 secrets of the like you know biological warfare accidentally from the cia crept into this document and ben would just start reading it like a robot you just read out every word here we go oh is this live damn sorry okay well she continues this this performance, this three-hour dance performance, which is called a Visharad, I can't even say that, which signified the completion of my seven-year... Okay, I'm looking ahead, because I knew she was going to give me the pronunciation. <laughs> but see, this still... Even this, these letters don't help me. Kath- yes, thak? it does. Kathak. Kathak. Okay. Kathak. Seven-year Kathak training. Kathak is a classical North Indian dance form. The performance is basically the graduation ceremony, so I received a diploma slash award. Okay. Do you think it would be irrelevant to include it on my resume under my awards section? Okay. Um, I also talked about Kathak in my diversity statement. Thank you for your help. Irrelevant? I mean, look, resumes are kind of, 
the Wild West in some ways, you can kind of define what you want to put into different things. Obviously, there are some standards and conventions, but no one's going, there's not really, I don't think, resume police saying, hey, I don't think that award is uh, worthy. People put all sorts of awards in their awards section. Some people don't even have an awards section. So I would say if it's something you're proud of and it seems noteworthy, it does seem that way, put it in. Yeah, my only problem with it is that it's a high school. Thing. Oh, high school. So, I missed that. As a senior in high school. Yeah. Well, it depends how old you are, Rachel. Yeah. If you're still in undergrad, this award as a line on your resume, I think it's fine. As a diversity statement, I think it's fine. None of this shit matters as much as your LSAT and GPA. Not even close. Nothing matters compared to your LSAT and GPA. I think everybody needs to stop worrying about all this shit so much. It's a feather in your cap. Include it on your resume. Fine. If you're 30 years old, though, mm. probably you have other stuff which should have replaced this by now, yeah. I think. Just because nothing that you do in high school. <laughs> I want to tell this to Haley, my mm. niece. Uh, who I adore, who just started high school. I want to, I want to go talk to her and just be like, Hey, let me tell you something, kid. If you ever, God forbid, apply to law school, I hope you don't, I hope you do anything else with your life. But if you do apply to law school, nothing you do in high school is going to matter jack shit for yeah. any of that. <laughs> so just do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Live your life, f do fun stuff. Don't worry about mm -hmm. your resume because nothing on high school, nothing you do in high school should be on your resume beyond much yeah. beyond college. All right. Anything else for nope. Rachel? I, I mean, I, I think it's fine. You know, like now if she was talking about writing her personal statement about this, I would say probably mm -hmm. not because I don't want to picture you as a high schooler. But if you're putting it in on other essays and as a short, one line on your resume, fine, whatever. I don't think people are even going to read that shit. Let's be honest. Yeah. But I also don't think it hurts. Like this, she, she has this fear that it's going to yeah. like be irrelevant or negative. It's like, no, you can yeah. show, Hey, look, I well, was a badass in high school in one bullet point and I continue to be a badass. People are going to think, wow. Okay. Great. Yes. As one line on your resume, fine. Counterpoint. It's not so much that it's bad, but it can start to gum up the works if you have lots sure. of these things. Yeah. Right. I mean, a big part of resume writing, the, mm -hmm. the way I see it, is to get rid of shit so that the real important shit can sure. shine. And, you know, like, so I would, um, Rachel, don't throw in everything but the kitchen sink. Is that the idiom? Don't throw. Yeah. Don't throw so everything but the yeah 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 everything yeah. but the kitchen sink. Don't throw in everything. It's not like more is more. In fact, quite the opposite. Less is more. If you have really badass shit, then you need to get rid of the stuff that's not quite so badass, so that people will actually read the badass. Yeah, I mean, part. is this preventing you from noting your skills in Microsoft Word and Excel? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a that's joke, a joke. From ben. please don't um, include that thank you <laughs> right no that's that's the poster child for worst thing to put on your resume because everyone is proficient in microsoft word and excel you know or if not then what 
So don't put that type of shit on your resume because it's just going to cover up the other stuff that actually yeah. is impressive. Okay. One more yeah. email say, and then we'll yeah, uh, wrap this one up. All right. It says, Hey guys, I'm 30. <laughs> cool. Congratulations. <laughs> I have a decent job fixing coffee equipment. I don't hate it, but I like the LSAT more. Over the past 12 months, I've raised my LSAT score from a diagnostic of 153 to the high 160s. My college GPA is 3.51. My LSAC GPA is 3.10. That's a bummer. I've listened to 215 episodes of the Thinking LSAT podcast and every episode of Demon Daily. Then in parentheses, I drive a lot. You don't have to explain yourself. (laughs) I I get it. We... We're good. <laughs> I like Al. Al's, Al's my buddy. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Al, for listening to all of our bullshit. I've spoken with 11 attorneys about their work. Very mm-hmm. specific. Insurance defense seems like something I could do. Okay. Okay. But I don't really want to be a lawyer. I want higher earning potential, more consistent hours, and a job that is less of a turnoff. Hmm. Why is fixing coffee equipment a turnoff? I've spent a year on the LSAT because the test is fun and I want to score higher, but also because studying delays the decision to apply. I can keep working on the LSAT indefinitely, but is it worth it if I don't really want to work in law? On the contrary, Should I tell my wants to fuck off and go crush some more reading comp sections? Thanks for your help, Al. Al's having an existential, uh, I would say midlife. It's not midlife. It's like one third life crisis. It's interesting. Any any advice for Al? So you're, look, in my mind, the LSAT leads you to two career paths. One is in law. The other is in LSAT preparation. What else? I don't know what else it does. <laughs> oh, well, law, school, law school admissions. Admissions. Yeah, well, do you need to do? <laughs> you could work at a law school. Many, many people who don't have successful legal careers end up working in the admissions yeah. offices. So, I don't know. If you really like the LSAT, I wouldn't stop you from studying it. Uh, it does make people smarter, I think, or at least more sensitive to the English language. Um, I would look at, I mean, you talk about insurance defense and you said, it seems like something I could do. I didn't love that sentence. I'd, I'd like to see something where you're like, insurance defense seems like something I'd want to do. And it doesn't seem like it's something you want to do. Thankfully, the thing about law is that it touches a lot of areas of the world. So... <laughs> Maybe you can find attorneys that work in something that's more interesting to you. If not, um, I don't know what you're doing. I say yeah. no. I say no. It's like he, he's trying to force this just because he's good at it. Like, Al, your coffee job is irrelevant. I don't care what you do. I care whether you actually want to practice law. I agree with that. But the question is about the LSAT in particular, right? Like, couldn't he keep studying it and then become an LSAT tutor if he likes it that much? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No. Hey, don't get me wrong. 
if you want to become an LSAT teacher, it's a great career. Yeah. I love it. I'm, I, I'm yeah. crazy about it. I have the best job in the world. <laughs> I mean, y- you cannot beat what I do. I am ecstatic about Dude, my job. Crush the LSAT and apply to the demon. Yeah, that's there what are I'm people saying. who have stayed but, here longer than they anticipated and put off law school because they like what they do at the demon. So, yeah, put off law school forever. Come teach with us. You'll have a super awesome work a group of yeah. coworkers. I mean, like it's like imagine Ben. Most people are like, oh, these fucking idiots that yep. I work with. You know, like every single day they come home just pulling all their hair out like these fucking morons. God damn it. These people are so stupid. <laughs> ben and I are like, oh, no, um, we work with like only smart people. <laughs> we just do not hire anybody dumb. Everybody who works with us is like a genius. And the students are like super diligent, super hardworking they are, you know, very passionate. They really want to do this stuff. It matters a lot to them. And you have the opportunity to change people's lives. I mean, we we save people a quarter of a million dollars on law school. We get them into vastly better schools that they never would have gotten into if they hadn't talked to us first. It's extremely rewarding. I agree. So, yeah. So, Al, study the LSAT to become an LSAT teacher you do need a 99th percentile score. So you're in the high 160s. You need to get that into the yep. 170s. And if you do on an official test, get into the 170s and you and you want to work with us, if you're a listener of the show and you clearly and are. you want to work with us. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Then then great. You can email um actually just email me directly, Nathan at LSATdemon.com. Um, when you have that official score on record and I'll talk to you about, uh, giving it a shot as an LSAT demon teacher. But like, as far as this insurance defense seems like something I could do, well then great. You don't want to do that. I mean, like you either have a burning desire to practice law for the rest of your life or you don't. And I don't think you do Al. Cool. If you do great, but if you don't, then do not keep barking up this tree. Now the LSAT is different. Like the, you can stop at LSAT. I should have stopped at LSAT. I think Ben probably yeah. also should have stopped sure. at LSAT. We have no interest in practicing law. It sucks. I don't want to do that. But LSAT's awesome. So if you love the test and you're good at it, and you think you might want to teach, then yeah, reach out. But I, I don't think you need to keep. You've talked to eleven attorneys. If you don't already have a burning desire to do what one of them does. You know, you seems like Al's trying to force it, right? Like, well, I mean, I guess I could do insurance yeah. defense. No, <laughs> don't probably don't. Yeah. Okay, cool. I see. Yeah. Right. Let's wrap Should it up. Wrap there. it up there. Be LSAT famous. Get okay. on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinking com. If you have questions about our preparation tool, the LSAT demon email help at lsatdemon.com. Uh, and also check out our other podcast, LSAT demon daily. That was episode 322 of the thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you don't pay for law school.